You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Before we go any further, like last episode, we just want to take a moment to give you a heads up that uh, this week's episode is being pre-recorded as I, Tim, will be heading out of the country for a couple weeks and won't be able to record shows on a regular weekly basis. Our apologies if the next three, at this point, I guess the next two shows, this one and the next one, are a little shorter or not as timely as they usually are. Uh, we will be back to our standard weekly recording schedule in November. Uh, thanks for understanding. And now that that's out of the way, let's get something to drink. And keep your arms and legs inside the podcast. Ooh, I got a nice fizzle on that one. And this week we're getting real fancy with fancy stuff. Brute IPA by Matchless Brewing and in collaboration with my favorite brewery, Fort George Brewing. I think that was made very clear by our live episode. Yeah, all right. Okay. <laughs> You're right. No, that's that's very true. I uh I said as much. You know, I want to be to to make sure that journalistically I'm I've I'm full of integrity and uh and just putting forth as much as I possibly can. I made it known. So, I don't feel that bad about it, honestly. I uh I think it is a little different though with my love for IPAs and particularly Brute IPA. Now, the whole, I mean, this is brand new, right? This is kind of a West Coast fad at the moment. It's a style that I've had maybe one or two of in the past, and I'm still on the fence about it. If I'm going to like any Brute IPAs, I feel like this is the one. I would hope so. I don't want you to be disappointed. I personally have liked everything from um, Matchless that I've gotten off of um, Tavor. And everything that you shared with me from Fort George has been good. So I'm hoping that there's some sort of magic going on in this collaboration. Um, we I don't want to go too deep into uh, Brute IPAs as I have quite a bit of detail to go over with you. But I... I'm going to, I said last show that I never had a pumpkin beer. I'm not going to say anything this time until I actually check for myself. So I don't go down that route again, but (laughs) I I can't, I really can't think of, okay. B's BR. No. Okay. First brute IPA. All right. That's pretty good. Um, this hopefully is a great way to start. I think I'll, I'll start at the packaging. It looks great. This is sort of like matchless style. Um, you know, very simple looking can, 16 ounce. And like you said, we got this off of Tavor. Um, it is a spade. Is that a spade? Yes. With a big M in it. As a, the matchless spade. Really good looking, kind of a gradient from gold to silver on the label here. Very, very good looking. Uh, the back of it actually mentions that they use topaz and citra hops. They use flake corn, SVM pills, rice, and a Milo 300 for the malt. They use flagship yeast, and it is described as premium dry brut cereal mashed. So they don't say specifically what they did to, to brutify this IPA. I know we'll probably get into it a little later. Uh, may, there may be some sort of industry standard for this kind of thing. But um, this is a very, very popular style right now especially on the West Coast. It's kind of our, 
I say are in terms of California's uh, response, West Coast response to the New England style IPA. And it is supposedly very dry. What mine is real golden looking. It is completely clear, very golden. It poured sort of with a lofty, thick head. Um, it, a lot of foam going on, but it has since dissipated. Yes. Uh, quite a bit. That is the same thing going on over here. Um, mine's not feeling as clear, but it's got that golden hay hue going on. Um, very, again, very bubbly. That scent off the top, I'm loving. It almost, it almost smells like very light. Yeah, it's light, and it, it almost has kind of like a, a fruity smell to it, like a, almost a fresh fruit smell, um, but not in a ripe, sugary way. Just, just light and flowery, almost. Floral is that what I guess that's the actual term, not flowery. Flowery <laughs> implies like uh <laughs> like I'm making a bread. Uh, this is this is more on the like garden fresh smell. Yes, and it is as we mentioned. It's categorized as an IPA brute, and it is six point six percent ABV. Oh, that is dry. I do get a lot of I get a lot of yeast uh, smell as well. If you if you kind of do our our patented uh, cover and swirl method, as we described in our live episode. Um, getting a lot of kind of like yeast, similar to a lager, sort of where you get a lot of of yeast smell in the, on the nose. For the record, this was canned on seven thirty eighteen. Wow, that is very like just slick, dry. Um, goes down frighteningly smooth, but that that aftertaste is like I feel like not not like just. Yeah, the dryness is sitting there. Yeah. Interesting. Store cold. So I'm pouring mine probably at about 35 degrees at the moment. Uh, Fahrenheit. It is just, just barely above <laughs> freezing at the moment. And it is so crisp that mine, unfortunately, is not nearly as cold. But that is due to my unfortunate accident of forgetting to put this in the fridge and then trying to flash freeze it in the freezer with the old wet paper towel trick and then <laughs> leaving it in there a little too long. So it's been thawing on my desk. But nonetheless, it is very tasty. That's it is. It's very clean, refreshing. It leaves that lingering dryness in your mouth. It is kind of like a, a staple of the style. Yeah. Now this one, it's uh, it's got about fifteen hundred check ins um, on Untapped, and it's sitting at about a three point seven three right now. So in terms of the the hops being used here, I don't know a whole lot about Topaz, but Citra tends to lend itself again, as the name implies, to kind of citrusy flavors. Right? You end up with a uh, lighter lemony taste to it, um, maybe more on the the vegetal side and less on the dank side of an ipa yeah um supposed to be kind of bright light flavored and i get a little bit of that maybe uh on lingering almost like a sparkling water with lemon flavor obviously as dry because there just doesn't seem to be much of any sugar in here at all yeah anymore it's it's all the flavor feels like all hop, but not um, not not uh, bitter. No, surprisingly, surprisingly not bitter. It's a light bitterness. It feels like 
Um, I really quick on the description here on Untapped Em. When we got to talking cereal mashing and IPA with our good friends at Fort George, they got to talking brute IPA and fancy stuff was born. We blended rice and corn with a minimal amount of Pilsner malt for a clean, crisp, and almost non-existent malt character. So you're wrong. Huh. <laughs> uh, to this, we uh, extravagantly dry hopped the beer with luxurious amounts of citron to a pause to create a beer that drinks higher than its rank. Fancy. It does for an IPA feel very fancy. Doesn't it's not sticky, you know, it's not lingering. It's not like whoa, palate wrecking. Yeah. But it's also it's it's satisfying that desire for the hops that I feel like we tend to have, um, while not being overwhelming or um overly bitter. Have any of you had this one? Let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at untapped. All right, let's move on to our style of the week segment then and take a look at this week's featured beer style. It's the one we're drinking right now. I apologize for the mouth sound. <laughs> don't, don't be. Uh, yeah, so... Keeping with- it's just so dry. It's it's like <gasps> it's my my mouth is a desert right now. It's gasping for for like sugar and liquid. Um, you know, okay, so before you even get into it, Tim, you know in Men in Black, when um Vincent Dino- Vincent D'Onofrio uh comes off of his spaceship and he goes, sugar. Yeah. And he needs sugar. Yeah, that's what I feel like right now with this brood IPA. More. I'm Vincent D'Onofrio, and I need sugar right now. More. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. It's, uh, it's like he was wearing a suit, like like yeah. an Egger suit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I need to go back and watch that movie. Uh, it's really good. Classic. Yeah, so we're going to be taking a look at the actually recent history of the brood IPA. This one's going to defy pretty much Everything that we've ever talked about with beer histories, I feel like. No mispronunciations. No German words. No, no, we're going to have mispronunciations. You know oh, that's going to happen. Or we'll leave it to you to sound out some of these chemical names because that's beyond me. Anyway, um, starting off with kind of a description, which we did a little bit of. Um, brood IPs are extra effervescent. I think that's one of Kyle's favorite words. They're pale yellow, they're perfectly clear, and intensely aromatic. And this one is no different, especially with all that dry hopping. They're also bone dry, often finishing at or below zero Play-Doh, which is the scale that brewers use to estimate finishing dryness in a beer. It's also when I'm real sad as a child because it's all dried out. And when I open up those little plastic (laughs) containers that no longer has has any in there. Uh, I've had to throw away my share of dry Play-Doh recently. (laughs) I know how that goes. It's Plato as in the, the, yeah. Philosopher. Yeah, anyway. Yes. Dryness of this magnitude requires the use of an amylase enzyme that helps the yeast fully break down any residual sugars left during the brewing process, which is why Kyle wants sugar in this beer. Uh, This, mixed with the emphasis on dry hopping to avoid bitterness while bumping up the hop aroma, is what causes Brute IPA's signature spritzy mouthfeel. Now, interestingly... Uh, the style itself was actually created in San Francisco, California by social brewing's Kim Strudevent. So another local for you NorCal people in terms of beer styles that have kind of really come into the U.S. 
last episode, it was the pumpkin beer from Buffalo Bills Brewing. Yep, out out in Hayward. That's uh, East Bay. So this is on the other side, sort of like peninsula. Yeah. So the San Francisco brewer was, and as far as he knows, one of the first, if not the first, to serve up the style, which he dubbed the Brute IPA in late 2017. Drawing its name Brute from Champagne, the style is exceedingly pale, dry, and as we mentioned, hop-focused. And if you've had Brute Champagne, it's the same idea. Um, It leaves a very dry mouthfeel. And it says IPA in here, and I think it's it's good to point out at this point that it doesn't even taste like an IPA. It, it tastes like it's in its own category. It is, yes, you know, very hop forward. Um, but for, for some reason, it just seems to sort of defy what you what the expectations are of an overly bitter IPA. And kind of, you know, you use sugar to balance the bitterness a lot of times, especially in an imperial style IPA. And it, it just seems to kind of buck that whole trend. So applying the IPA name to it, is, I think, a, a bit of a misnomer, but it does help to describe sort of the hop characteristic of it. Using an addition of an amylase enzyme, amylaglucosidase. Yep. Oh, good. I got that one. Which breweries more often employ to lighten up the body of heavy stouts and porters without watering down the alcohol percentage. Studevent decided to apply it to a more approachable beer. Made with extremely light malts and, on occasion, flaked rice or corn. Which is exactly what we've got here today. Yes, that is. that sounds like something I just said. Um, Studevent was brewing a triple IPA recipe and had some of the enzyme on hand when he decided to try an idea he'd been bouncing around for a while. If the enzyme could get a high-gravity triple IPA down to 0.05 Play-Doh, uh, it was possible that it could get a standard IPA down to zero. That is that is just wild to think about. Like, oh, I've got some, <laughs> I've got some amylase around here. Uh, yeah, I'll just I'll have it eat all these sugars. Why not? Nom 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 nom. Actual live audio of amylase, the enzyme <laughs> going, going through the brute IPA. I picture a giant game of Pac Man in the brew cattle. It's it's actually not far off because what it does, the enzyme. You you got to think of the chemical structure of sugar as well. And, and glucose and things like that. And uh, amylase has kind of a, a mouth-like structure that latches on and grabs that sugar and consumes it, basically. So it's it's not too far off to, to kind of imagine that as a Pac-Man game. I was looking up chemical structures right now. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Chirality. I like it. No, that has nothing to do with it. (laughs) The initial Brute IPA recipes have built a fan base. Uh, Studevent has heard from people all over the world who want to try and make the style. So it's growing beyond just a trendy West Coast thing. Um, Brewers from the Czech Republic, Russia, France, England, Brazil, Argentina, Australia, New Zealand, and more have all reached out to Studevent about their take on his new style. I kind of, I sort of love that... You know, we do have the West Coast IPA already. That that kind of exists. But Brute IPA is not going to be regionally locked. You know, it's it's made its way out into the world. And yes, you know, Hazy IPA tends to be the uh, equivalent to, to New England style or Northeast IPA, if you would. Um, but but Brute's in, it seems like it's kind of extending. It started here, but that, it only feels like a local invention because 
indeed it was a local invention it's going to get everywhere yes this is true and like you you've mentioned it it's a unique style that in many ways is a response to both the classic west coast um ipa hop bombs and the hazy pillowy new england style ipas that are currently proliferating on the beer menus around town now with the brewers association's recent addition of the juicy or hazy ipa to the great american beer festival competition stylist perhaps a similar fate's in store for studevin style he says, it's not really a goal, but it would be cool if it happens. I most definitely see this happening. It is so unique. It is um, infinitely drinkable. I'm, I'm just completely destroying the 16-ounce can right now. And I, I love this, this style. Um, it, it, like I said, if there was going to be anyone to kind of turn me on to this this being a not just a trend, but a style, hopefully, that will make its way around the world and something that I'm going to pick more uh, pick more cans up of in the future. This is this is going to be it. And it's it has definitely met my expectations. It's really good. It's freaky good. I mean, I should note, too, it's it must not be filtered because it is still hazy. It's a like beautiful straw color. Um, but I do get a little bit of sediment in here and and what that what that sediment would be i actually have no idea somebody did point out that uh in a review that a bit of sediment snuck out of the can and surprised him so it's kind of wild i'm i'm hmm, i'm perplexed a bit it's so unique it is it's it's got a very interesting aftertaste i'm wonder it's it's not as teeth coating as the like sour ipa that i had from cerebral yeah that kind of blew my mind at how um flavor wise it was completely on like 100 percent what i wanted but mouth feel and like the um the lingering taste of that was surprising in in a weird kind of way um this is yes kind of surprising but also like i don't know i i it doesn't linger long enough for me to, i gotta drink it again in order to enjoy this flavor Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast to get 20% off. All right, let's take a look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. And by we, I mean you, Tim. What'd you find? Yes, after several hours of digging around the good old internet, I pulled together a handful of articles. The first one comes from thetakeout.com, and it is their Ask Kate About Beer segment. Um, I've seen a few of these articles pop up, but I particularly liked this one. Um, What are dry hopped versus wet hopped beers? And this seems very seasonally appropriate, especially with all of the hop harvest kind of wrapping up and these breweries getting out there like super fresh IPAs. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I I was really glad to see something like this, uh, especially on the takeout. I love all of Kate's articles about beer. They are very informative, and this was no exception. So the article does start off with, uh, you pick up two IPAs at your local bottle shop. One boasts that it's dry hopped, the other proclaims it's wet hopped. What's the difference? And one going to taste better than the other? As uh, the Pacific Northwest hop harvest season wraps up and releases its explosion of wet hopped IPAs, friends have been asking me what exactly 
these terms mean for what's in their glass? Let's see. Uh, dry hop. So um, when after a hop takes a shower, you've you've got to kind of you know you fluff it up. Um, you want to you want to make sure that it's clean. Um, no, I'm I'm really bad at this. I'm not coming. I'm I'm trying to like. You're trying to I'm trying hard. to free, I'm trying to free associate a little bit of like what dry hop and wet hop is, and trying not to get um, too saucy with it. <laughs> uh, but it's very very difficult. Yes, you're definitely you're not you're kind of hitting a wall there. <laughs> okay. All right. So let's start off with dry hopping. Um, the first time hops enter the process is when wort, which is the unfermented beer kind of tea, uh, is being brought to a boil inside a brew kettle. The brewer will add the first load of hops, which, when added to the boiling water, undergo isomer, mm, isomer, isomeration. isomeration. Mm-hmm. That's a good word. I like that. I, I saw isomerization. I saw isomerization. Yes. Basically, the process uh, turns hops alpha acids into water-soluble bitter compounds. And this is the point at which hops add the bitter bite to beer. But boiling also zaps the volatile hop oils responsible for uh, aroma and flavor. So if a brewer wants to wring out those citrusy, floral, minty, tropical, or berry-like notes from hops, they'll have to add new hops again after the boil, and this is called dry hopping. It's the process by which hops are added to the beer after boiling is complete. Because the hops aren't boiled, they impart aroma and flavor, but not bitterness. Now, when you said, like, tea like the the unfermented beer wort being kind of like a tea this is sort of the same process right you're kind of like adding these dry leaf and flower ingredients to this beverage to impart more of the the actual flavor of that stuff onto the beer yes it's it's kind of like steeping it in there to pull pull out some of the essence yeah now dry hopped ipas are all the rage right now uh, because in the past few years drinkers have come to demand more hop aroma and flavor and less emphasis on bitterness which we have seen time and time again with this brewed ipa with the juicy hazy category Um, people are kind of shifting a little bit away from the hop bombs and more for something palatable and dry hopping really does help with that because you'll get that aroma and all of that goodness of the hop off of the, you know, the initial can open or bottle crack or pour. As soon as it comes out, you're just going to be, gosh, I'm describing words are escaping me right now, but it's just going to hit you in the face. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You you do want to be kind of punched in the mouth with hops a lot of times with dry hopping. Any beer that says dry hopped and then either with the hop itself or double dry hopped or triple, quadruple dry hopped, double, double dry hopped, um, all of those tend to be exactly the beers that I like. They're very, very hop forward and have have a lot of the qualities that I like in a beer. Um, I've also seen kind of taking that another level, saying the number of pounds per barrel of hops that they will put in, um, which is just kind of like speaking to the consumer a bit and saying like, listen, this these are the actual ingredients we put in. And this is, you know, how much we've done on this particular beer. I love to see that. Um, and there have been some recently that I've enjoyed quite a bit that were, were dry hopped beers. So I think we'll see this more and more and especially like naming the hops that it's dry hopped with Mosaic, Citra, Simcoe etc. They'll do a lot more of that. So that's really good to see. 
But what is what is wet hopping? What how is that any different? Uh, right. So wet hopping. When we talk about wet hopping, we're not talking about when the hops are added to the brewing process. Instead, we're concentrating on the form of the hops used to brew a particular beer. So hops come in many uh, formats. They come in whole dried cones, pellets made from these cones, which is the most common form, uh, hop oil, etc., um, which is made by extracting compounds in hops and distilling them into a concentrated liquid. Wet hop beers, which are also called fresh hopped or harvest beers, are made with whole cone, unkilned, which basically means not dried hops. So instead of taking the hops, putting them into bundles, drying them out so that they'll last longer, or putting them into these compact pellets, which are easier to store or use, you're just you're taking the plant from the vine and putting it right into your kettle. That sounds so good. I mean, especially a fan of like fresh ingredients for stuff. Um, this gets this is almost the like pure culinary version of hopping a beer right this is this is taking the full flavored uh as it's intended as it's grown thing from the farm and putting it into your beer yes and this we we see a lot of pacific northwest breweries um doing that they do this every year uh basically a lot of places will claim okay well we this beer the hops that we used which are wet hops or a whole cone were picked and put into the brew kettle within, say, like one hour. You know, they, they play up a lot of that. So it's like literally from the vine to the kettle. Could you could you just brew maybe in the field? Like just, just grab the, it's still on the vine. You just, <laughs> just kind of dip it into the thing. I feel like this is, this is an episode of Brew Dogs waiting to happen. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, all right, all right. Thinking about it. So be, because they're brewed uh, days, if not mere hours after the hop harvest, wet hopped beers are a seasonal treat, which we just said. You'll see them crop up in the early fall, and then it's another 11 months before they'll return. The hop expression in most of these IPAs is frankly intense. Think of the difference between dried garlic powder and fresh chopped garlic. Now, that that's an analogy that I can definitely get on board with. Yeah, I would say there's an in-between fresh garlic and i'm i'm kind of a fan of this 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 would be probably what uh hop pellets (laughs) would be or even maybe whole cone uh dried hops but i have a jar of garlic in the fridge that is like pre-chopped garlic so you just kind of grab a you know tablespoonful and try and get as uh, as much of the garlic juice as you can from there it's just a you know a big jar of it pre-chopped it's very convenient but uh, does not pack as much flavor as like a, a fresh uh, allicinified garlic clove would. Uh, you've mentioned that before. And for the convenience factor, it always sounds great. Um, I will say that anytime that I have brewed a beer at home, it has been with pellets, except for one time where I went to the brew store and got some dried whole cones and dry hopped off of those. Hmm. Um, I, it was a while ago, so I, I honestly can't recall if it imparted anything especially special to the beer. But it was definitely a lot of fun picking up whole cone hops. Um, uh, well, dried hops, dried whole cone hops and putting it into the uh, the fermenter. I really like, though, that this is like a truly seasonal thing, right? It, it As you said, it's sort of a Pacific Northwest kind of thing here in the U.S. at least. 
where this only happens once a year in a very short amount of time. Um, I had a wet hot beer this year. It was very good from Alvarado Street Brewing. It's just kind of a little bit different. And I don't know if it's a mental thing or or whether it's an actual flavor thing. Um, but it's it, it does kind of have a little bit more of that hop oil flavor, right? It's it's it feels more concentrated. It does feel a little smoother, um, not as abrasive. I'm a, I'm a fan of wet hopped beers as much as I'm a fan of dry hopped beers. But I know, you know, I won't be able to get a wet hop beer any other time of year. Um, and so when I do find them, I'll I'll typically go for that. This is the sound of me reacting to you saying you had an Alvarado wet hop beer. Okay, moving on. Uh, the next article we have up here is from foodandwine.com. This Patagonia yeast lab is about to shake up the beer industry. Mm, okay. And I assume not the uh, coat brand. No, and not in the milkshake sort of way. Got it. Oh, ah, ah. Where's the bell? Someone get me a bell. All right. So step aside hops. The next focus of craft brewers just might be wild yeast. Now, to say that it's the next focus seems a little off because think about all of those traditional Belgian breweries that just focus on wild yeast. I feel like this might be a lit that 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 subline might be a little a uh, little bit of a stretch, but the article does go on to be quite interesting. So on the outskirts of San Carlos de Bariloche, a mountain rim tourist town in northwest Patagonia, Diego Libkind stands proudly in front of some concrete pillars and an overflowing green dumpster. Uh, Libkind is a microbiologist and yeast researcher affiliated with Argentina's National Scientific and Technical Research Council. And while the building site is back is still in its nascent stages, a nearby billboard rendering reveals a 7,500-square-foot research laboratory that will soon take shape. It's a brewing facility slated to open in late 2019, and it's going to make waves in the beer industry, the article says. Gesturing toward the building site and the stunning natural landscape that surrounds it, Libkind explains that Patagonia is home to an unusually large and varied population of wild yeast, thanks to its climate and virgin ecosystem. He plans to catalog and develop these native yeasts in order to produce new types that can be used in beer making. That's super exciting. It's a lot of beards. <laughs> oh, that's a good reference. No, no. I, I think about <laughs> how much wild and untouched landscape there is in that region. It, yeah. Wild yeast could be anywhere. It, it could be. And it could completely change the brewing game. You know, it's especially if it's you've got to get into a lab. You've got to kind of uh, sequence it. you got to see what it does. You need to see if these strains are. Um, going to be good for brewing or or not um i'm i'm very very curious this is like the you know five-year journey of the starship enterprise but in <laughs> to, to brew small brews and and seek out brew civilizations i guess brew long and prosper okay at the center he says we are going to introduce many new yeast strains for innovation in brewing Beside Libkind in this article stands Willem van Westberg. I'm going to go with Weisberg, actually. Master Brewer for Heineken. Uh, van Weisberg was one of the first people to recognize the promise of uh, Libkind's yeast research, and Heineken has helped fund the building of the upcoming lab, which will be called the 
CRELTEC, which is an acronym roughly translated to Reference Center in Yeast and Brewing Technology. That's a very nice name. The CRELTEC sounds like a conglomeration that would have been in the San Francisco Bay Area in a 1992 movie where like robots took over the world. And you had to break into Krill Tech in order to, like, shut them down. <laughs> you see somebody breaking through a window with the company sign on the top of the building right above them. Yeah. And it's it just it, it sounds maniacal just from the name. But it's, <laughs> I'm glad that it's kind of, um, I don't know, tamped down a bit by the the fact that it's like Research Center in East and Brewing Technology. That sounds a lot nicer. Yeah. And, uh, to your average person, that might sound boring. But to us in the beer world, it's got a lot of promise. Uh, to understand the significance of Libkind's lab and why a company with Heineken's clout would be willing to help back its construction, a quick beer chemistry lesson is in order. Now, I would have you normally do this because you have so much uh, background in the chemistry, but but yeah, I'll run through this. Every beer, every beer is built on a foundation of just four ingredients. What are they? Uh, water, hops, beer, and love. Mm, nope. That's that's incorrect. No. <laughs> water hops. <laughs> oh, 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 I'll do that again. Uh, water hops, m- barley and malt and yeast. Yeast is in there. It's a yeast research facility. So uh, water hops, yeast and, and malt, I guess, barley. Yeah, there you go. That sounds a little better. Uh, the German purity law would not be happy with you right now. No, I know. I'm sorry, Germany. (laughs) And of those four ingredients, yeast is the constitutional component. Yeast is what determines whether the beer is an ale or a lager, which are the two umbrella categories under which all styles of beer fall. Yeast also imparts flavor and aroma to a beer. The vast majority of beer made in the world, and according to this article, that's 94% to be exact, is cold fermented lager which is made with a hybrid yeast descended from two parent species. One of those parent species is a close genetic relative of the yeast used to make ale. But the other parent species was, until very recently, a a mystery. Yeast experts knew that its DNA looked, or knew what its DNA looked like, but they had never been able to find it in nature. Uh, Libkind actually changed that when he discovered the yeast in the forests of Patagonia. Aha, there's the connection. That's why. I mean, okay, so I'm about to say that's wild, but it is wild. It's actually wild. <laughs> Sorry, that was a delayed reaction. Yeah. <laughs> if I had laughed right on time, I would have had beer all over the microphone. You know, I would say that the more surprising statistic is that 94% of the beer made in the world is cold fermented lager. Maybe per, like by volume. I did not explain that specifically, but be very, I'd be very curious to know how that breaks out because I'm definitely on the, uh, I don't know, on the ale side, you know, not the, not the longer side, but it's, it's interesting. Very interesting. Since Lipkind's discovery of the species he documented has turned up in the wild in several other locations, including in North Carolina, maybe, maybe somewhere in the rafters of our headquarters and Tibet. That's pretty, okay. that's pretty far. All off. right. 
We're opening an HQ there soon, probably, yeah. Uh, but Heineken working with Libkind was the first to use this wild lager yeast to make beer, a process that took years of development. The result, which is Heineken's H41, is currently available in New York and other select markets worldwide. And as we have done in the past, anyone who is listening who's in the New York market and has access to Heineken's H41, I would love to talk to you. Because it would be really rad to be able to try something that was made with this wild discovered yeast and, you know, kind of do a follow-up. End, uh, end of uh, self-promotion there. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we need like a little stick stickly style uh, character to be able to tell our, uh, our address for selling beer or for sending beer to us. I, we've had, I'm going to say shout out to everyone who has actually helped us out with getting beers that we've talked about on the show. We recently actually got our hands on that blockbuster, uh, the last blockbuster beer, thanks to one of our listeners. Um, well, I'm saving that till we're in the studio together so that we can try it um, and we'll give a little more detail. But it's been really, it's been really amazing is the, the response that people have, even when we don't legitimately just beg for it. <laughs> people are just willing to go and check it out and help us out. And we really appreciate it. So this time I'm going to be a little more direct because this sounds really cool. Uh, let us know. Uh, otherwise, um, let's finish up the article, and it says, When the lab is completed, Libkind says that he and his team um, expect to isolate and develop many new strains of brewing yeast, which could yield entirely new styles and varieties of beer. So get ready, Brewers Association, because we need more styles. We do. We <laughs> we totally do. Yeah, seeing the number of hazy, juicy IPAs that were put in there last year, uh, I'd love to see that expanded, um, especially into... New new types of beer. You know, what could this bring? I'm so, I'm, I'm intrigued, curious. I, I, I wonder too, like Heineken's H41. H41? All right, now I'm curious to see what this one looks like on a tap. Let me go check that out. So um, we got H41 by Heineken. It is a lager euro, uh, 5.3% ABV, 23% IBU, and it's got a, an average rating of 3.22. Interestingly enough, it, it the label seems to say limited edition, but there's 19,000 check-ins to it. So that's not the most limited edition I've ever seen. Huh. I guess he, big, big in the Netherlands. Not not so not so big in New York, maybe? Maybe not, but I'm still intrigued by it. So keep an ear out there. All right, now it's time to answer some of your questions about Untapped or about beer in general. If you've got any questions for us, be sure to send them over using the hashtag AskUntapped. That's hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Uh, this week's question is coming to us from Instagram. It's coming from Beers with Barley. Uh, they ask, can you... Well, first I should say that I believe this uh, beers... I believe Barley is the puppy that is shown in the picture. So I'm not sure exactly who to credit for this, but we're going to go with Instagram account beers with Barley. Uh, the question is, can you explain how you categorize breweries on the app between micro, macro, or regional brewery? So this is a really good question because I know that it, it can get a little complicated. People talk about craft and independent and micro and macro and regional and brew pub there are just so many categories out there that it can get pretty um pretty complicated uh but nano yeah you know you, you can go you can go real deep you can so we we roughly follow the same categorization as the brewers association 
in which um, categorization is based on the barrels of beer or hectoliters that is produced by a brewery each year. Um, We actually have a support page that outlines a lot of the details here, so we're going to put a link in the show notes. But uh, just running through it really quick, uh, on Untapped, we have home brewery, which is basically anything that is non-commercial that you brew at home. Um, We have a nano brewery, which is a brewery that produces uh, 2,000 or less barrels of beer a year. We have a brew pub. Now, this is a brewery with the majority of the beer brewed. Um, It's basically for sale, kind of like a restaurant bar. It's it's all primarily for that um, location. Um, breaking down some of the categories, these are just, um, side categories. We have a cidery, which is somebody who produces cider and a meadery, which is somebody who produces mead, but getting back into the beer line of things, a microbrewery is a brewery that produces between 2000 and 15,000 barrels or less of beer per year. It's pretty, pretty wide category. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and I mean, it, it's, that's quite a bit of beer, but it definitely, um, that's where that would lie. We also have a regional brewery, which is um, a brewery that produces between 15,000 barrels and 6 million barrels. So that that's quite a big gamut there. The last one, which is the macro brewery, which I mean, most people kind of get an idea of what that is. That's any, any brewery that produces more than 6 million barrels of beer um, or a brewery that is owned by a brewery with another production of 6 million barrels of beer. So that's kind of where the independent ownership comes in a little bit. We might have to put a stipulation on there, too. If you put a 77-pack of beer out, that might qualify you for the macro beer. Yes, this is true. (laughs) One thing to point out is that the Brewers Association has recently started pushing the idea of independent craft with their independent craft seal. And we actually have a badge available for this in partnership with the Brewers Association. This badge is Cheers to Independent U.S. Craft Beer and can be unlocked by up to a level 100, actually, by checking in to... Um, a beer that the Brewers Association considers an independent craft brewery. We have a list on our blog, and I will be sure to link to that. But for the sake of conversation, um, the Brewers Association defines an independent brewery as a brewery that is less than 25% of the craft brewery is owned or controlled by a beverage alcohol industry member, which is not itself a craft brewer. So basically, if you have a brewery that has twenty or that is 26% owned by a larger brewery, uh, then that is no longer considered independent by uh, their standards. Right. And you'll typically see the independent beer badge or independent beer seal on the side of a can. Like we've got one here on our matchless and Fort George beer. Yes. And it's that upside down bottle with Brewers Association, the independent craft broken down on there. Thanks for your question. Um, Brews with Barley. Again, you can send in your questions using the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. All right. Show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. And of course, if you've got any questions, either for our Ask Untapped segment, you can use the hashtag AskUntapped, or you can just send them in using at untapped on twitter facebook and instagram and as usual if you have a second please head over to apple Podcasts and give our show a quick rating and if you have another moment write a review because we want to hear what you think we're always reading always trying to integrate your feedback and um, we just love to hear from you in general i think we'll also take your beer yeah (laughs) please send us cool beers that we talk about (laughs) until next week cheers 